Welcome to The New Disruptors. And this is a mini episode part of the What's Your Latest series in which I'm asking experienced creators about their latest project. And on this episode, I've got Dave Kellett. He's a cartoonist, podcaster, co-director of the comics documentary Stripped. He creates two strips, Sheldon and Drive, and has multiple Patreons. He's got a podcast on making comics in the business of comics, Comic Lab, and lots of crowdfunding and production of physical goods under his belt. Hi, Dave. Hello, how are you today? You're a busy guy. I'm great. You're a busy guy. I, you know, but delightfully busy. I, I'm, I was thinking about my projects for 2019, and my wonderful assistant is like, you can't do all of that. We're going to have to pare down this list. <laughs> That's a great problem to have. I have the other problem, which is I have a lot of projects, and none of them make enough money to actually work on. Yeah, uh, I, but listen, together, we've all stared down that road. Yeah, I've, right. <laughs> but together, they add up to something. Uh, so, yeah, so in this episode, we're going to talk about your latest book, which is a uh, Kickstarter campaign you did for a second collection of the strip Drive, a sci-fi uh, Imperium sort of uh, uh, world building. Uh, series that you uh, have had collaborators on, and it's a really interesting project. And uh, and I think Drive, uh, this second book, illustrates a lot of lessons that that you've learned. And then again, you talk about them. I should recommend Comic Lab to people who are not necessarily cartoonists or illustrators. I am ne neither of those things, and I get a lot out of it because you talk about this business of being an independent creator, and it happens to be comics, and some of the stuff is specific to that. But I think the lessons that you learn from and apply to Drive, both as a strip and then in producing this second collection, um, are incredibly valuable to everybody. Um, oh, thank and... you for saying that. Yeah. I, I, We try to make that show so that anyone who's working either independently but creatively and mainly online, uh, there's a lot of uh, transferable knowledge there. Um, Kind of akin to the kind of the kind of thing you can get at XOXO or down maybe at uh, uh, some of the Austin festivals, where your creatives that are working online, there's a lot of shareable uh, best practices that work in different fields. And so, with our Comic Lab podcast, we've been really happy to see people come up to us and be like, "I'm not a cartoonist, but I have an Etsy shop, or I'm an <laughs> essayist, or I'm a, a musician, and I found X Y Z helpful from the podcast." So that's been really uh, lovely to see. Well, I think one of the things that is wonderful to watch in your career, and I've known you for a few years, and uh, so I've only been following your work for six years now, I think, starting with the Stripped movie, which again, I recommend to everyone because it's a delight and a joy. And I feel like you were you had started at a strong point. You're a long-term web comics artist. You've been online for a long time uh, doing this thing. Uh, we're both grizzled veterans here, yes. but I feel like over the last six years, some of the tools and techniques for building audiences have kicked in and they've aligned with your ability to take the work you do and find more people who are interested in it, who then in turn support you. Do you think that's going on? Am I am I uh, reading an arc into your career that doesn't exist? No, you you absolutely are, are reading that correctly. So I uh, first went online in 1998 uh, with my webcomics. Um, and it took, frankly, that first decade, it was almost uh, un impossible to to squeeze a dollar out of the internet for my first yeah. decade online. And then what happened is the, for me, first of all, the ad-based model and small merch model um, made it so that I could make a living. And I quit my day job at Mattel Toys and uh, became a full-time cartoonist in 2007. So a couple of years, the ad model there and, and frankly, the self-published book model was working fine for me. But really, it has kicked off in a big way since distributed fundraising, both through Kickstarter and through Patreon, have taken off. Almost perfectly timed, frankly, for the death <laughs> of the ad model. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe, maybe that's not so perfectly timed. It just happened to work out well. The um, But so for me, the tools and the, uh, and the techniques have really been 
refined and honed because there's so many thousands of artists that are doing this on or some some version of what I'm doing online that uh, the best practices have really gotten whittled down and honed and um, sharpened. And so um, I, I don't want to say easy. It's not the right word, but it's so much easier than it was uh, 10, 15 years ago to make a living online now. And so I agree with you that it's um, uh, it's kind of a, a, a great time to be an artist online right now. And your audience not only can find you, they can support you directly. I mean, we have a larger audience, obviously, it keeps growing and growing. And, you know, that's a nice thing for podcasting, too, is, you know, how many tens of millions of people listen to podcasts now where it was, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions not that long ago. Right. Uh, and it's not like the Internet is suddenly, you know, 10 times bigger than it was 10 years ago. But I feel like it's both harder to get people's attention, but it's also um, easier for people to find you, if that makes sense. So people looking for a certain kind of thing uh, uh, can can find you know the comic strips you're doing, the other work you're doing, but also uh, they find affinity. So they find one thing and they find another. And um, I don't know why I felt like we were in like more isolated islands uh, um, before. I think this rise of um, more I don't know what it's like finding the audience through crowdfunding. It sounds funny because it's about money, but I think it's also helped us all gather more people together who want to know and, and support what we do. Yeah, it's a, I, I, unfortunately, money is the expression of it, but it's also the expression of the truly passionate. So there is a certain amount of audience building around uh, distributed fundraising just because the money is the expression of the passion that these true, true fans are feeling. So um, the, there's a really heavy Venn diagram overlap of the people that give money are also the wonderful fans that want to talk about your work or share your work or, or revel in it. Um, and so uh, it's it just so happens that these platforms also make for great community building, um, uh, I think, because of that passion. And I think this pl uh, plays indirectly into uh, the second Drive book. So this isn't your, it's like, this isn't even your first rodeo with Drive. Like you have Drive is now, um, I forget how many years old it is. Have you had a decade on Drive now? Uh, I think it's just shy of a decade. I think it's nine years old. So my other comic, Sheldon, uh, like I said, has been online for 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. But Drive uh, was, I reached a sort of point where I was tired of the day in, day out of my normal comic strip and wanted to try something new. So Drive is a long form story, um, more akin to what you would have read in the 20s or 30s for comics, where it updates regularly, uh, in this case, once a week as a page, um, but it will form part of a larger story. And the final form will be about 1,000 pages, maybe 1,100 pages. And so we are, I think, about 400, 500 pages into the story now. Wow. Holy cow. People should read this. It's like, if you like Heinlein and you like Asimov, well, it's not exactly that. It's much better because it's enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, Zing. I'm so mean. Woo. <laughs> uh, no, but you, I think you have a lot more. I think it's funny to say that, but it's like, I think the characterization, the strip, uh, even when you're doing parody or uh, you know evil people being a little extreme, there's still a, a, a sincerity and genuineness to it that is often lacking from hard sci-fi. And this is kind of hard sci-fi strip. I think you do some hand-waving, but it's really about spaceship and a and a galactic empire and the whole thing and but but, it, but with all the human components and alien components of interaction in, inside. Oh, thank of that. you. That that's really nice to hear that. Um, yeah, I my goal with this and it's it's kind of funny to 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 cludge them together like this. But my goal with this was basically to take the world building and seriousness and scope of a Dune type story. But ma mash it up with kind of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy joy and <laughs> and silliness, um, and maybe almost a Muppet silliness, uh, and um, so you get a serious story populated by really fun, goofy, hopefully relatable characters, 
Um, but there, you're right though, that there is a certain joy underpinning it, uh, and relatableness with the characters, hopefully. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's, I'm, I'm really pleased that you're, you're finding it enjoyable. Thank you for that. Oh yeah. Well, it's great to follow a story that uh, goes on for this long. And, uh, my, uh, uh, younger kid and I have been watching Steven universe and we are really bummed right now because the show creator, uh, has said that they're about halfway through the mythology, but we don't know how many more episodes are coming. They may not make, there's like a few more of the pipeline. I, I don't know what's going on. We're like, oh no, but like you do it. Stay healthy, Dave. Stay healthy. We want to see how this <laughs> comes out. You've got a plan for the whole thing. Uh, it's it's not unlike what the George R. R. Martin fans are like, but don't, <laughs> don't take the stairs. Have someone go upstairs and get that thing for you. Do not take the stairs. <laughs> we'll carry it to you, um, George. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's there's a joy though in knowing what the um, end point is of a long form story because um, it's akin to a road trip where you know you need to get from Los Angeles to Chicago uh, and you know certain key stops that you have to make along your road trip, but you sometimes can throw the map out the window and say, I'm still heading east uh, and I'm going to enjoy the storytelling uh, divergence right now as a storyteller. Um, And so you can take a little alternate pass along the way knowing that you're going to get to that final destination uh, you know, at at a thousand or so pages. Um, It's been a really, really fun story to tell. I grew up loving and reading sci-fi, and it's fun to to live in that world. It's a really fun sandbox sandbox to play in. I should drop in a, a mention of my friend Dan Morin's book, The Calendodian Gambit, and he just got a a second book deal. So it's it's he's also building a universe that's uh, it's not identical to yours, but it's uh, it's very human based. But it's um, sort of hilariously the same kind of thing. Like he likes James Bond, he likes the Checkers Guide, he wanted to create a universe that's fun to be in, that's full of you know oogie stuff and and geopolitical conflict and whatever. But you enjoy being there and, and you know inhabiting the universe as a reader because it's not all like. And then we used uh, libertarian self-will to exercise the purity of being to take over this planet. It's like, well, maybe Robert, you should back off a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there, there are definitely sci-fi storytellers, uh, storytellers of all stripes, actually, that get too deep into uh, the world building and forget the joy of the storytelling where the characters come first. Um, so uh, I try to keep that, you know, every once in a while I fail at that too, but I try to keep that in mind that if you keep the story compelling and the characters compelling, the world building will click into place on its own. And um, one fun aspect of, of what I like to do with Drive, for those that are not familiar with it, as I said, it's a daily, it's, an, it's a weekly comic strip page that updates part of a bigger story. But uh, every once in a while, to really get a lot of exposition out, what I will do is I'll have a found object from that universe that oh, will yes. appear as one of the updated pages. And so it'll either be a torn out page of an encyclopedia or a, a lost book from a, uh, a, a destroyed book or, or a memo that only a few people have seen in the, in the empire. Um, and it's fun. It's a fun, almost, almost Victorian way to tell a story, to have these little snippets of letters and, and memos and, and, uh, and encyclopedias. So that's been a fun way to kind of uh, deepen and broaden the universe uh, without ruining the story, I think. Well, and you've also done these, like, uh, what we call them side quests, where you bring in collaborators. Uh, and I think, uh, now I'm trying to remember, did, did, in all the collaborations, do you have both a writer and an illustrator, sometimes the same person do it? Or are you ever involved in the illustration of that as well? Well, uh, so that's a great question. So uh, for Drive, which is, as I said, a, a standalone thousand page story, the the universe has started to solidify enough where I could invite artists that I respect to come in and tell anywhere from an eight to 20 page story uh, that's in that universe. And I, I give them complete editorial freedom. I, you know, aside from a quick check at the outline stage, just to see if there's anything that goes against canon, 
Uh, I let them do whatever they want, um, mostly because I trust the people that I ask. Uh, but um, I also, and this is important to me, I also pay them at a rate that I think exceeds Marvel and DC page rates. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> I, I, well, that's Fantastic. no small thing to me. I mean, if you're going to ask an artist to work on your work, you should you should pay them what their time is worth. And um, so uh, it, it's lovely to have uh, these cartoonists come in. And sometimes to answer your question, sometimes it's a writer artist team and sometimes it's a cartoonist who is also a writer. And so we've had both. Uh, and starting next week, um, is the first one that I have written and someone else has drawn. In this case, it'll be the Japanese duo uh, Gurihiru. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No. Um, they've been doing a lot more Marvel work. Uh, it's two women that live in, I think they're in Tokyo, and um, their art style is amazing. And it's both cute and technically uh, perfect, and it's it's... It's delightful to write a story knowing that it goes into their hands. And that one's going to be starting uh, at drivecomic.com next week. Uh, so that'll be fun. So that's the first one that I've written that someone else has drawn. And so this all gets pulled together. This is where I'm kind of delving into the background of the strip a bit and, and your process, because uh, this is where I think the Kickstarter for the second volume is particularly interesting is, is you have uh, people reading the strip know there's a goal and know the story is going to continue. And uh, am I right? Are you planning about four books or f it's four or five, right? In the end, because there are two. Yeah, or that's, that's a great guesstimate. Yeah, four or five. Um, uh, and I say it's a little nebulous at this point, because like I said before, I know the the destination of the road trip, but I don't know what side roads right. I might take along the way, you know? Right. And some of you, this book, this book bloated in a good way. <laughs> you reached goals and goals that you reached made it larger to include uh, both some content. I think some of these, uh, the, these separate uh, stories that were told, and then you commissioned some for the book as well. So that gave you more content to uh, include a, kind of a reward above what was just on the website as well. Right, right. And the goal there, too, is that if you're enjoying a universe, in this case, this story, um, you're probably apt to at least be willing to tolerate a 10 or 20 page story from a guest artist in that universe. Um, if for no other reason, it's fun to see what a different flavor or a different spin they might put on it. Um, so if people come for the book, uh, for my story, it's it's a delightful little uh, sorbet at the end to have a guest story or two in the end. Um, and so... Uh, I was very happy that the Kickstarter allowed us to expand the book to include, I think it's like five or six guest stories now as well. Yeah. I'll, and I want to dig into, uh, you talked about gamifying the Kickstarter and I want to dig in, I want to not forget to dig into that. But I think um, the fundamental thing that's interesting is as this goes along, so with the second volume, you, you know, the rewards are all centered around, you know, hey, you can get, uh, I mean, the basic reward, the $15 reward was both the first and second volumes as ebooks. So you're not even, that's not even like another stick or stick and carrot thing. It's like, well, you can get one or two is $25. So you're getting people up to speed, even if they come in at that level. And then as right. you go up the tiers, you're like, you know, get the soft cover, get both in soft cover, get hard covers. And I feel like, you know, the next one, the third uh, Kickstarter, you've got people who are for the book for the, uh, the Kickstarter for the third book, you'll have those people, you know, uh, still ratcheting up, like laddering up that. And I feel like, you know, book four, it's going to be a little crazy because you'll have a lot of things to fulfill, but you'll also, it'll likely be much larger, even with the same audience size than previous ones, because people will have missed getting the previous hardcovers uh, or softcovers and, and come in at those levels. Uh, yeah, this, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Glenn, yeah. that past Dave and present Dave have kind of screwed future Dave in terms of how <laughs> he's going to have to structure that Kickstarter. Um, just because the oh, level yeah. of complication, both in uh, logistics and even in getting people to pledge to one of probably 30 different levels is going to yeah. be tricky, you know? 
Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't, you know, I guess that's that. It's, but it's, it's a benefit. And we should talk about the first Kickstarter, uh, our first book's Kickstarter raised, uh, I think, about one hundred and six thousand um, dollars from roughly the same number of people. This raised one hundred and sixteen thousand five hundred from sixteen hundred and sixty people. So there's, you know, a some growth is good. You're building the audience. I know people are also supporting you through Patreon, and they can buy your books in other ways. So some people may have bought the first hardcover, maybe waiting to buy the second, so forth. So there's that crowd. Right. Excellent outcome for the second one but also that average price kind of shows me a, a fan point right that's like 70 dollars a person uh in this second book kickstarter which seems really significant when the core element is a book or two books yeah it it speaks to thankfully the the level of enjoyment um that folks have had for the story that they're willing to jump in at a price point that you or i or any rational person would consider like that it's not in 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 you know it's not a small jump to go to sixty or seventy dollars for yeah. a Kickstarter. That's a that's a considerable jump in. Um, but uh, I, it also speaks to there are certain stories in all of our lives that we want to have the final finished physical product, and thankfully, long form stories and comics are one of those. And I say that because I also do short form comics, which is more gag a day comic strip. And uh, I do notice that as the years go on. The idea of uh, a solid physical book for that is less and less uh, desired by folks, just mm -hmm. as the book becomes a, a slightly less important part of our day-to-day -day lives. Long form, doing great. Short form, not so great. So I don't know that that has a great future, but at least in this case, long form has a great future with, with book publishing. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky on that front, yeah. Also, it's kind of a gift giving thing, too, is you're like, I want to get someone into the series. I can buy an extra book or I can, you know, get the PDF. As oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give them the PDF, uh, get people sucked in. I mean, that's the thing is when you fall in love with a series, what you do is you suck other people into it. And I've gone down that rabbit hole, especially with web comics. I'm like, how many hours I've been sitting here clicking the next button? Like, uh oh, yeah, I know. And well, and and what's fun for me when well, I shouldn't say fun, it's the exact opposite of fun. What's bad for me is that I think I mismanaged how many uh, of volume one I should have printed because by oh. the time we future Dave gets to that volume four Kickstarter, <laughs> I might have to redo volume one and two, I think. Uh, so, I mean, there are worse problems to have in life than having to reprint something, but, um, but it's, it, it's interesting. You can, you can only plan so much for a project that's going to take you a decade to finish, you know, I guess is the short version of that. Yeah. And how many books do you want around for a decade that aren't selling because of the future <laughs> Yeah. Plant? Especially when they're two inches thick, each one of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that can fill up a garage real quick. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the good news though, <laughs> is to, to get, to get back to your earlier sentiment as an artist though, it is delightful when folks want to jump in and support a story at uh, at that 60 or $70 level. And I'm talking about separate from money, just as an artistic affirmation. It's, it's really lovely because, you know, you create these little stories in your studio all year long. And then maybe once a year, once every two years, you have a Kickstarter or some big public uh, proclamation where people can express their love for it. And it is very affirming and you hold on it onto it and near and dear to your heart that these people are enjoying your story. And so uh, it powers me through the quieter months, you know. Oh, that's great. This is like the, uh, we stored the pumpkins in the, in the downstairs where it's cold so we can eat them when it's, when it's winter out and uh, pull out the, pull out the fruitcake. <laughs> yeah, this is, I'm, that's right. I'm like, I'm like an old, uh, uh, motherly, uh, a farmhand that's doing all my canning for winter, uh, with all this love and support. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then, and then I uncan it every once in a while. Oh my God. I never thought about Kickstarter that way, but it kind of is that you're canning your future because, you know, it's like, all right, now for the next year, this must sustain me in my work. Yeah, exactly. Well, mother, we have a lot of plans. <laughs> 
plums. Time to do some canning. Sure, sure. I don't like plums. Uh, You broke up the tiers of this very interestingly. So you kind of get into this more and more super fan level. I'm always interested in the balance and separation of people who are getting a thing and providing support or are really in love with the thing too, right? So, um, and I knew of people across those tiers. Someone's like, well, I want to get the book because I want to read the book. So maybe they get the ebook edition. Like, well, I like a, a, a real book, so I'm going to get that. Then you're like, oh, you know, I can get the the pin. And they're like, oh, Dave, this guy can get artwork commissions. Like, oh, I can, you know. So you have three people at a $600 level where one of the things they get is, you know, it's a commission, which is pretty exciting for someone who likes your work that's not a ridiculous price and it's a million other things in there as well uh so it's a it's a pretty fabulous package but you have people at that level then you know we go down the tiers and and i know the bulk of support is in these uh intermediate levels where people are just getting the hard covers the hard covers plus something else like a signed book plate right but um but it's i'm always curious about those positions you know you want to give people a way to pay you more money if they want more of your stuff Exactly. It's the kind of the, the the mood behind it is basically like once you've convinced someone to make that initial leap to click yes on backing a Kickstarter, you then want to give them some opportunities of like, all right, so you're in on the book, but here are some other kind of fun items along this along with it that are uh, and then just speaking from a business perspective that are that are manageable to produce that pack flat well. Because uh, that's going to be super critical for international <laughs> yeah, shipping, right? Oh my um, god! That you know, the pack flat well, and that are uh, reproducible at a volume that makes it worthwhile for the Kickstarter. So, um, yeah, so a lot of things like uh, postcards or mini prints or uh, little tchotchkes that are flattish, um, they all make for uh, a buy-in that that ups the the value of the Kickstarter for that person and for you uh, interacting with them. So yeah, it's um and it's fun to do. By the way, it's as a cartoonist, uh, I one of the things that I love to do is create things with my hands, obviously, and so to be able to make things that are going to be laser etched or to make things that are going to be three D sculpted or or uh, you know, a 3D printed or any of this sort of stuff. It's fun. It's genuinely, I get to be uh, akin to what I used to do at Mattel Toys and make physical objects from my art. Um, and uh, so even that has a certain just a, a joie de vivre to it because you get to make these things and, and offer them to people. Um, it's so much easier to get those things made. Like books, I've talked in previous episodes of the podcast a lot about books because I come from a book printing background and right. uh you know books are an easy thing to make at one level because or easy there's a whole industry that knows how to make them but the rise of industries uh, that used to be really specialized and are now coming down to earth like the enamel pin thing i am flabbergasted by how cheap it is and how beautiful they are they are really great works of art when you learn the process and even if you don't uh there are enough companies out there that are good at working with artists that they're creating incredible works from people who are not necessarily illustrator or cartoonist who will send them a piece of work and say can you work with this like oh sure and you're like oh my god this thing is gorgeous yeah it's beautifully produced you're like what world we're with enamel pins for some reason make me feel like i'm living in the future because the fact that i can send people a digital file and get a hundred of something for a very reasonable per piece price that looks like a million bucks to me. Um, yeah, the 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 rise of small run manufacturing mm. and and um, I guess printing to some extent has been revolutionary for artists because we can make everything from a challenge coin to an enamel pin to really intricately kiss cutted magnets to uh, you know all the standard sort of print products. 
And, uh, you know, back in the day, 20, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, some of that stuff would have been exorbitantly priced to, to manufacture. And now it's not only reasonable, you can do it on your laptop while at a coffee shop, you know, oh by sending the AI file or something. Well, I, I know you go to a lot of cons also, too, or conventions. So I should say cons. That sounds wrong. For people that I don't know, for the, the comic conventions. The lo- yeah, the long cons. <laughs> so, uh, long cons. And uh, those small items are super high margin is the thing, right? You have the inventory cost. you got to spend, you know, $500 to get X hundred pins. But you're selling something for $10 or $15. It might cost $3 a unit. And that helps at those events, I assume, because they're small, lightweight, and high margin. Yeah. And I... Uh, at the very minimum, I try to do three times cost with the units that I bring to Comic-Con, um, mainly because there's a lot of costs, as you can yeah. imagine, from going to a Comic-Con. You have the tabling fee, you have the the flight to get there, you have the hotel, you have food. Um, and so uh, my goal, though, is really to always have a product that's five times cost um, when I have it at a Comic-Con. Um, that's great. It, it, it helps me both make a living and, and pay off all the... Uh, um, the fees for going to that Comic-Con um, and then to walk away with the profit. So um, so that's what I try to do. And, and like I said, the, the rise in small run manufacturing makes all of that possible because back in the day, like we were talking about when I started online and when it was just ad money and small print, small run uh, printing, the other sort of uh, part of that triptych was uh, T-shirts. And oh, yeah. T-shirts were great for their margin, so a lot of cartoonists did them. The problem being that if you go to a Comic-Con and you have 20 shirts that you've brought with you, you know as soon as you sell out of large that that's what everyone else <laughs> is going to want when they walk up to a table. Yeah. Whereas when you sell an enamel pin or a poster or a print or a book, that's a one-size-fits-all solution. And so it's so much better for what we do uh, both online and traveling. So anyway, you can see why everyone has glommed onto enamel pins or challenge coins or this or that because it's um, the margins are great. The final product, as you said, is getting amazing. And, um, and it's a, it's a fun thing to make. So it's a kind of a perfect storm of, of everything you want out of, out of merch. The, the t-shirt change is interesting because I think, uh, shipping costs have become so high, like either, you know, just shipping to an event or shipping out to people that I think t-shirts have fallen away as a rewarding Kickstarter. Certainly I see much fewer of them. And, and as a thing I see, it shows also, except, you know, like a, a, if I go after a concert, they have shirts, of course, but not at, uh, not so much, uh, last time I went through Emerald city comic-con, I saw feel like a handful of shirts. Um, Jonathan Colton told me back in, uh, I don't know, it was 2012 or so. I was interviewing him for the show and he said something on the orders of like t-shirts are this, our t-shirts are to, uh, you know, online um, audiences, what uh, cigarettes are to prisoners. And uh, it's like, it's the commerce, you know, it's just like, it's the way it's just a kind of currency. And I think it's still true, but there's a, like the cotton, uh, cotton bureau folks have sort of mastered. I mean, they certainly haven't uh, you know, completely cornered the market, but they've mastered that notion of like, I have a design that's really high quality and it's going to sell to an audience I have. And these guys handle all the details. And if I sell in sufficient quantities, I make a profit and I don't have to touch a physical good. And right. I know they make it all right. And I think they, that took a little of the air out of the, uh, I mean, there are still people like uh, like Rich Stevens and so forth who handle more of their own merch and sell their own stuff. Although I think he may have shifted even too, but like the t-shirt, I know it's kind of a sidebar, but the t-shirt market kind of, disappeared because of all the fuss you know books are not necessarily uh way less but there's only one book you know like one enamel pen i don't need a different size for different uh, body types um, yeah it's fun to almost imagine that market as though it were the you know the the dutch tulip market in the 16th century or whatever like just you know the t- t-shirts are rising and rising and all these artists are making their careers and then a bust the eventual bust um but uh yeah no see, the the nice thing is is uh 
working online now for 20 years, and you know this well, is that everything changes about every six to 18 months. God And damn so it. you think you've got your business model down and you're like, good, I'm set. Let's just keep doing Everybody stay still. We're going to keep doing this for the next decade. And then, you know, six months later, you're like, oh, nope, entirely new way of making a living now. That's And so it what it, it's both good because it keeps you nimble and it keeps you on your toes. Um, but it is, it's the wearing of a lot of hats. You have to wear a lot of hats to be a professional artist online, especially if you're hoping to do it for any length of period. Um, you have to constantly be learning from your peers and watching what people are doing and frankly, being open to changing everything that you do right now that's working, uh, when, when it's necessitated. So, um, that is the truest thing is I, I have had this joke now for at least 15 years that every 18 months, 75% 75% of my revenue is entirely different than 18 months prior, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there are constants, uh, you know, there's some people I've been working with the whole time and so forth. You have books, you know, books don't disappear, but the way in which you uh, pre-sell, pre-order, manufacture, distribute, hand sell, deliver, I'm sure that's changed radically even over a decade. I mean, especially oh, yeah. shipping costs have been killing all of us. And I think books, because of the media mail rate in the U.S., have been slightly exempted, but the international market, I mean, getting into the weeds here, I want to do a whole episode about shipping because so many people, especially new creators, have issues with this. And I've, I've almost fallen afoul of some really big international costs. But right, but I mean, shipping a book overseas, one of your drive books could cost, what, $20 as the cheapest way to get it somewhere? It's oh, like yeah. $4 in the US. Yeah. And and like you said, thank God for Media Mail because it's kept my book business alive online. But uh, uh, eight years ago, I would send all of my books first class or priority because it was mm. very affordable in the U.S. Yeah. And that has completely fallen by the wayside. And international is is kind of untenable now. I, you, I don't ship hardly anything to Australia anymore, and that's a big audience of mine. And uh, a lot of Northern Europe has gotten really expensive to ship to, too. So. Um, my traditional overseas audiences just don't buy like they used to anymore, mainly because they're spending as much, if not more for shipping than they are on the product. And that's painful. Oh, it's, and I, I did a Kickstarter for this, uh, limited edition, um, uh, letterpress book I printed last year and, uh, the book, I put it in the campaign at a hundred dollars, uh, each and shipping to internationally was 50 bucks. Cause there were some other items. I was going to do a couple shipments and some friends and colleagues were like 50 bucks really. And I'm like, seriously, it's going to wind up being that much. And I think I spent, you know, not including, uh, materials and my time and, you know, stamps.com subscription or whatever. I think I spent about 40 something dollars for most people to send them two things, including that oh. book, you know, and because the book weighed like a pound and a half. Um, well, like I say, folks, tune into a future shipping episode in which I'll, I'm going to plan an interview and talk a, a bunch of people about how to work around that. Some of it is there's the drop shipping thing, which is only efficient if you're in the hundreds or thousands of units. Right. You know, and that. But So actually, what I want to make sure we talk about, though, I, I bookmarked it earlier in the episode, is uh, there are a lot of different opinions about uh stretch goals. And you set this project very modestly at $25,000 as the goal. That was, hooray, we got to make the book. And having done a previous campaign, I mean, you've had very successful campaigns. You've got a Patreon for uh, for Drive. You have a Patreon for Sheldon. You have a Patreon for Comic Lab. You've got different revenue streams coming in for different projects at different levels. Um, and so I expect, you know, going into this, you probably thought, I could make fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars from this, based on the previous campaign. I don't know if it was that high, but so tell me, how did you how did you decide to set such a low goal, and then 
build stretch goals on top of that? That's a great question. So like you had just said, I went into this saying, all right, I can at least worst case scenario anticipate a 50 or $75,000 goal being met for this book. Um, and that would have been lovely. It would have been a profitable uh, book and and all would be well. Uh, but I set it at 25 because what I really wanted to do is, A, I wanted to get the emotion of, okay, we're making the book out of the way so that then we could start to work on a bunch of fun stretch goals. And really what that was, was uh, I had a book in my mind's eye that I wanted to make. But if people didn't want it, when then we could do a very bare bones but great looking book that would be super fun to own at at a twenty five thousand dollar goal. Great, we're all happy. I don't make much of a profit, if anything, and and that would be the day. But if everybody wanted this fancier book with all these doodads and whistles in it, then we could add all these stretch goals on, you know, at a thousand or two thousand dollars a time, and eventually you would get UV printing or uh, foil printing or a built in ribbon bookmark or a slip cover or, you know, all these other things that you can add in to make a book really fancy and enjoyable and beautiful as a, as an object of art, you know, not just a, not just a, a reading vessel. Um, and so that's the way we structured it. We did a, a low goal so that we got to that goal. We could make a bare bones, minimum, perfectly lovely book at not much profit, if, if even any profit. And then the stretch goals would carry us to uh, a prettier and prettier book. And that's what happened. So even though we set the goal at 25,000, we ended up, uh, I think it was like 115, 116,000 for the book. And uh, we met all of our stretch goals and it was lovely. Um, it's also fun. It, it makes the process more fun if we're all in this together and hey, tell a friend and let's see if we can get a fancier book for everybody at no additional cost to you. And uh, that kind of psychology works really well with a Kickstarter campaign. Well, I remember hearing you talk about it, I think, on Comic Lab, that uh, there's this incredible, you mentioned this in passing just a moment ago, too, that having a $25,000 goal, you can tell your Patreon people, you can tell people in other places who know you already, and by the time most people even see the Kickstarter, it's funded. Yeah, yeah. Well, the people that know Kickstarter well know that it's pretty standardly a 30-day campaign. Um, but what I do now is I set it up as a 31-day campaign. <laughs> And the first day, uh, even though there's some people that follow me on Kickstarter and unfortunately hear about it when it when it launches, uh, the first day is secret to the public. It's only known only to my Patreon folks, and they get a link to uh, special levels that are basically my way of saying thank you for supporting me in the leaner years, in the leaner months. And as a thank you, you're going to get a little, either something a little extra special or a little discounted price or something along those lines. And so... Usually what that ends up meaning is your most passionate, your truest fans jump right in and you meet your goal within the first day or so. And I think that's what happened here. I don't remember. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure we met the, the goal. Let me let me ask you through this. is um, Because this is a newer Kickstarter feature that lets you do this too. They've added some sophistication about reward levels that didn't exist before uh, for people who haven't done a campaign in a while or haven't looked into right. it. So this gives you that ability to not, you can't say only these people can do something, but you can say only during this period of time. Yeah. Um, I wish that I, they've had a lot of great functionality. And frankly, Kickstarter is so much better than anybody else at doing what they do. I mean, it's such a big step down to Indiegogo uh, from Kickstarter. But mm-hmm. uh, I have very little critiques. But I wish there was a little more fine tuning in offering super secret uh, selective goal or tiers oh, for folks. 
like a preview URL or, a URL, or like something like that, only if you yeah, have this URL that, that, um, So that people that follow you, I kind of wish I could make it so that people couldn't follow me on Kickstarter because they would get, they, they get the notification when I launch and I don't want them to find it. I want right. only the Patreon folks to find it at first. So, um, but I get why Kickstarter does it. They've found in their in their wisdom that having followers, you know, and I get, if I've liked something that Glenn's done in the past, there's a strong possibility that I would like something he'll do in the future. So of course I see why Kickstarter allows that follow feature, you know, um, because they also, Kickstarter also has super users that frankly have a lot of disposable income and back things just to back things because <laughs> yeah. they enjoy the idea of it, you know? Um, so you do want those people. I just wish I could selectively not post to them on my first day. That is really yeah. interesting. I mean, right, because there's secret URLs you can do for a lot of different things and services and online stores and that you can run and whatever. But that's that's a very, I think that's a great Kickstarter uh, addition. I wonder if they do it because it's they're, part of their thing is being uh, somewhat like, uh, not ecumenical, but like very even about everything. So they want to give everyone access to the same thing. Right. Um, and I wonder if this runs contrary to that spirit, but I don't know. I mean, that's a, it's a great thing. Something else you did that I thought was hilarious. And um, I think this is part of your overall strategy to build excitement is you had stretch goals that were dollars. Then after 50 grand, there's 20 Lego drive ships and people just needed to what, like build one and send you a picture. That was the whole notion. Yeah. And so the idea here is, uh, that yes, we're trying to make a, a book and the book costs money. And so the, the goals are related to dollar amounts, of course, that everyone kind of understands that, that we live in a world that's uh, where money makes things happen. But I also wanted to have goals that were just fun, just the joy of of life with the idea that we're all readers and, and enjoying this community. I had goals like if you build t 20 uh, ships out of Lego from the sci-fi story that I have, spaceships, um, and just post a picture and it doesn't have to be great. You don't have to be Picasso level <laughs> Lego builder. Uh, you can just do what you can. And what was fun is I had people saying, you know, uh, my kids have been out of college for 10 years and I had to go up to the attic to find my Legos or I was over at my <laughs> nephew's house and, and he and I built the ship together or it's, there's a lot of just fun stories, but it's, it's a, it's a way for people to express their fandom and also for all of us to have the shared creativity and joy of something uh, simple and childlike like Legos and at the same time have a stretch goal be met. And so um, we did a couple different gamification uh, goals. We did one with Lego. One was a coloring contest where I had a PDF that they could download <laughs> and they could color different characters. And the, some great. of them were really beautiful. And some people are clearly uh, heavily colorblind. So uh, <laughs> there there was that. But it was fun to see. And then there was... Um, what was the other game? There was another physical oh, co oh. cosplayers. I'm looking at the cosplayers. Oh, one. cosplayers! Yeah, that was great. And cosplayers, boy, you get the you get the full range of human experiences when you ask uh, fans to do cosplays because you get people that are like, I know all about cosplay. I'm ready to do it. And then other people are like, I've never done this before. I'm going to cut out some pieces of paper and make a mask. I guess I don't know. Um, and so uh, you you got the whole gamut there, uh, but it was all joy filled and it was all fun yeah. and it made the Kickstarter a shared moment more than it was just a fundraising moment, you know? And there's this great balance, I think, uh, that you've tried to achieve here, which is between the levels at which people can pledge and what they get and the, and the uh, stretch goals. So there's an interesting, like there's two dials, right? And, and so people will come in at one level and there's, there's stretch goals and everyone gets more stuff. And some of the people see the more stuff coming in. They're like, well, I'm going to up my pledge level, which ups the you know money coming in, which ups the stretch goal. 
so they're tied together, you know, like those, you know, those, uh, computerized devices where you turn one thing and another thing turns, you're like, Oh, but there's some relationship you can't intuit, but, uh, you know, people go like, Oh, you know, I had the, the new disruptors Kickstarter campaign at last minute. Someone came in and put it over the top because it wasn't funding. And they're like, Nope, it's just going to happen. Boom. And everyone gets that benefit. And, uh, right. I feel like you've created, you know, some people argue you should have very few tiers, like three tiers or four tiers what you're offering is too complicated for that. And also there's too many different like levels of fandom and levels of interest and levels of money. But the fact that you've got this, Hey, everyone gets the rising tide, right? This hardcover book's going to be better and better and better and better. That's a, I, I wonder how much you had to fine tune that, or if this is all kind of an intuitive thing because there are no, there's no formula, there's no rules. No, it's it's definitely a fine tuning. And by the way, for those that wanted to look at this, I have a, a redirect URL. So you can just go to drivekickstarter.com oh, yeah. and that'll take you direct to the page that uh, Glenn and I are talking about with this um, with the, with this uh, drive book. Domain but, names um, are like $10 a, a year. Go register one for your campaign and redirect. Oh, it I can't. By the way, I can't recommend that enough for all the different social media things. There, you have to copy and paste this, this uh, 48... Uh, character URL for Kickstarter, you know, everywhere you go. So why not buy for $8 a, a custom URL with a redirect? And it makes life so much easier. But anyway, drivekickstarter.com. And so, yeah, it's definitely been a refinement of of how I do the tiers and how I do the gamification and stuff. And part of that is just because Kickstarter, I've done, I don't know now, maybe eight Kickstarters um, mm -hmm. over the years. And you just get better at how to structure them and how to do them. Um, and you kind of get the psychology of, like you said, once you've got someone in, they're interested, they've already pledged, how do you make it so that they are willing to jump up a level for, uh, you know, for a $5 fee to jump up for another level, but they end up getting $20 worth of digital goods, say, or something like that mm -hmm. for free that are bonuses. Um, and so there's all sorts of fun little ways to to make it uh, easy for folks to jump up to a higher level where no one feels bad about it because they're getting a lot of extra stuff. Um, and so we did that with this Kickstarter. And it was really it was really overall, it was a really fun Kickstarter to do. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, joking back and forth and, and giggling about it because it, it matches. You should always have it match the spirit of your work. And Drive is is inherently uh, a serious story with silliness embedded in it. And so the Kickstarter had some silliness embedded in it. <laughs> I like whenever you ask people to make something, I think that's wonderful. And they feel part of it, too, is, you know, this isn't uh, you're not on a, a, a podium lecturing at people. They become part of the the thing you're doing, they become part of your success. They have a feel like they have a stake in the thing um, proceeding. Well, I'm going to look forward to your next book, which is the 10 lessons of highly effective cartoonists. Uh, because <laughs> I, I think I think that would sell. Uh, and um, Dave, this is how a short episode goes in the new disruptors. I think we're at 40 minutes to talk about it very briefly about your book and uh, <laughs> appreciate, appreciate the time. And folks, you can find Dave all over the place, drivecomic.com, sheldoncomics.com. Go to your favorite podcast app and listen to Comic Lab. I am a, ha a happy Patreon backer of Comic Lab as well because it has brought me such uh, joy. Uh, it, you know, half the episode, by the way, is just Brad and uh, Brad Geiger, his co-host, and Dave laughing, and that's worth the price. And uh... <laughs> it's 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 wonderful when you can embed friendship into a podcast. Oh there, there are worse things in life, you know. So I just the best part is when you or Brad get each other going, and you don't realize you're being taken for about thirty seconds. You're like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> friends that are jerks to each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a delight. But Dave, thank you so much for. Uh, for coming on and sharing insights about the drive, the second volume of Drive. 
I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight to talk to you. Thank you. This has been The New Disruptors. The theme music is by Jeff Tolbert. Audio lives at SoundCloud and the site runs on Squarespace. This episode was hosted by me, Glenn Fleischman. You can help support this podcast and fund the production of more episodes by visiting newdisrupt.org support and find out about monthly and yearly membership options that include access to a private discussion forum for listeners, a fancy enamel pin, and being thanked on an episode. This episode copyright 2018, a periodical LLC. It's licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND. 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution by linking back to newdisrupt.org. I only ask you don't offer it for sale. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.